I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We need to know, are you walking this path because somebody else is telling you you should? Or have you come to the realization that this is the right path? Because when you come to the realization that this is the right path, nobody can talk you out of it. But if, if you haven't come to that realization, stuff will cause you to be detoured. When you come to the realization that you know who he is, and this is where I believe the Hebrew writer is coming from, that he that comes to him must first believe that he is. See, this ain't that old time religion. This ain't your daddy's religion or your mama's religion. It was good enough for them, it's good enough for you. No, you gotta come to the realization yourself that he is the king. And when you come to that realization that he is the king, then you will serve him as a subject. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Yeshua's illegitimate facade of a trial at the hands of the religious leaders concluded with a guilty verdict. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world had been convicted of crimes he did not commit and was condemned to death for blasphemy. The religious leaders and the people's flagrant display of lawlessness added insult to injury as they assaulted him with their fists, spat on him, mocked him, and covered his eyes and demanded that he prophesy who hit him. According to the Torah, being condemned to death for blasphemy required the religious leaders to stone Yeshua to death. But instead, they took the matter to the Romans, not knowing they were fulfilling the prophecies of Yeshua. The governor knew the religious leaders were envious of Yeshua. He concluded that Yeshua was an innocent man after receiving words from his wife and asking Yeshua if he was king of the Jews. In this teaching, the conspiracy of the religious leaders come to fruition in the message titled, Killing the King. So, let's study. So we're in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be looking again at chapter at verses 27 through 44 to get through these verses. And in the description that we sent out, talked about how what has happened over the last couple of services is Yeshua has faced an illegitimate trial. And we pointed out the illegitimacy of the trial and the failures of the religious leaders, how they violated Torah while trying to uphold Torah. The purpose of bringing the death penalty to Yeshua was because they accused him of blasphemy. But we know that the conclusion was based on the fact that they had sought false witnesses, which was against Torah, and they had made up these charges against him And even the the high priest violated his own, the instructions concerning ripping uh, the garment of the high priest and and just a, a number of violations that we pointed out as we went through this whole process of a trial. We also talked about when they smote or 
mocked him or hit him, they these were the religious leaders. These were the Hebrew people who were doing these things to him before he was handed over to Pilate. We also noted that according to the charge that he was charged with, and we're going to see in this particular teaching that the accusations that the Romans conclude and the accusations that the Hebrew, the religious leaders concluded, they charged Yeshua with blasphemy because he claimed to be Messiah. The punishment for his crime was to be stoned. It is clear. And therefore, their role, their job, based on the accusations, the conclusion, the verdict, is that he was supposed to be stoned. But instead, they turned him over to the Romans. Now, we also note that the crucifixion or the being hung from a tree, we pointed out last week and the week before, that there is the crime of hanging a person on a tree. This was long before Rome or the Romans adopted a crucifixion process of impelling. The Torah specifically stated that if a person was guilty of a crime worthy of being hung on a tree, that that person would be hung on the tree and that body was not to stay up on the tree overnight. In other words, it was to be taken down before sunset. So when we see Joseph of Arimathea, which we shall see in Nicodemus coming and taking the body down, they were actually fulfilling Torah in the process of taking his body down. And it wasn't because it was a high Sabbath. It's because the sun was setting. So they had an illegitimate trial. The religious leaders found him guilty. And now we see the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world had been convicted of crimes he did not commit and was condemned to die. The flagrant display of lawlessness, the abuse of authority, the inhumane treatment against the Messiah by those who supposedly represented Jehovah, their armed guards, the crowd of people, added insult to injury as they assaulted him with their fists, spat on him, mocked him, covered his eyes, and demanded that he prophesy who hit him. There's been times early on in my, in my walk when reading Matthew chapter 27 was very difficult for me. And then when the movie came out, the, uh, what is it, The Passion of the Christ, man, I boohooed like a baby seeing what the Almighty endured for us. And then being in churches where the messages would come, whereas we did that. We, the people, the, the sinful people, is what caused Yeshua to have to endure those particular issues that he, he, that he faced. And the fact of the matter is we didn't do that. We were born long after the fall of man. The person who did that was Mr. and Mrs. Adam. They were the ones 
who, because of their crime, and their crime was simply to disregard or disobey the instruction of the Almighty. It's hard sometimes to see ourselves as criminals when we don't break man's law. <laughs> you see, man has a court of law, and I know that growing up, my parents were religious people. My, my mom, especially my dad, was one of those Easter Christmas kind of persons who went to church to appease, you know, the, the wife and maybe maybe showed up at Mother's Day. But, you know, the kind of folks who in the church, they called them nominal, nominal Christians, individuals who who weren't pious. But my mom was not only in church practically every Sunday, but the Sundays that she worked, she made us go. So we couldn't get out of it. And the churches would teach us things that made it seem as if it was kind of like our fault, that we were responsible, as pointed out earlier. The fact of the matter is, is that when we look at what the scripture actually teach, that because of the first man and his sin, we now were born into sin. And because we were born into sin, we really never had a choice in the matter. But to commit a crime, to be considered a criminal, our parents used to raise us and raised us to obey the law so that we didn't end up in jail. But when it came down to the law of God, I think there was pretty much one law that I ever remember hearing from my parents, and that was, honor the law, honor your father, honor your mother, so things will go well with you. All of the other laws were seemingly disregarded or ignored. Yeshua now has not committed a crime, but he's been charged with crimes. According to Torah, as we stated, being condemned to death for blasphemy required the religious leaders to stone Yeshua to death. But instead, they took the matter to the Romans, not knowing they were fulfilling the prophecies of Yeshua. Now, the governor, we come to realize, knew the religious leaders were envious of Yeshua because he discerned that. He concluded that Yeshua was innocent. And then, you know, he received a word from his wife telling him not to have anything to do with this just man. So the Roman Pilate, his wife, had been shown in a dream that this man was an innocent man and that her husband should have nothing to do with it. And when he tried to get Yeshua off, the people pressured him and forced his hand and even shouted out, as we looked at last week, when Pilate tried to wash his hands and said, you know, the man's blood will not be on my hand. They shouted out, well, his blood will be on us and our children. And that brings us to verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Yeshua into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. I think in John, it says they put on him a purple robe. Here in Matthew, 
they put on him a scarlet robe. The robe, it is believed to have been the outer cloak of a Roman soldier. And what I did here is brought in a possible image of how Roman soldiers dressed in Yeshua's day. Because when you put yourself in the environment, where would the Roman guards get a king's robe? Now, if the Romans wore robes, they would be readily available. And here's an image. Some of you have probably seen these kinds of images of how certain Romans dressed. Now, these are pretty much the images that I've seen in all the movies. You Google and basically that would be a cloak. And when they had plated a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. Some said, I think John puts a staff, but they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. Now they didn't make this up. This was the crime that remember when they asked, what was this man's crime? What did they say? They said he claims to be the Messiah. He telling people they don't have to pay taxes to Caesar. But what Pilate focused on, and then he claimed to be a king or he claimed to be king of the Jews or whatever the case may be. Pilate asked him the question, are you the king of the Jews? And of course, we know Yeshua's answer. The Roman soldiers mockingly paid homage to Yeshua, hailing him as king of the Jews. Yeshua embraced his role and purpose as king. Now, this is something that when you look at Yeshua's life, we have pieces of it. We don't have the whole of it because we see his birth, the circumstances surrounding his birth. And then there's this space of time where he shows up again around 12, 11 or 12 years old. He's, he's speaking with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And then the next thing we hear about him is he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These were John's words. And then his ministry starts. And so we have pieces of Yeshua's life from birth to ministry to where we can get some ideas of the kind of life that he lived. It would have been interesting if the Bible would have revealed to us his teenage years, you know, Yeshua as an adolescent just showed us him growing up. But what's important for us is who he was, what he had come or had been sent to do. And this is, this is important for us. This is important for you. This is important for me because I had to really ask deeply within myself, when I leave here, what do I want people to say about me? I think Yeshua had these concerns himself because he asked his disciples, who do people say I, the son of man am? Hmm. And folks had opinions. Ask yourself, 
What do you think people will say about you when you're gone? Because a lot of it is going to be determined by how you live. Now, we know people who have died. <laughs> and we know some of the things we think about people who have died. Some of the things we say. There are people in our lives that have impacted us positively. There are people in our lives who've impacted us negatively. There are people in our lives who don't understand or know who we are. They know who they want us to be. And when we don't fit their description of how we should be, then they formulate their opinions of us. I know for me, one of the popular things that would be said about our parents is they did the best they could. <laughs> That's many of us memory. When it comes to my dad, there are things that I remember about him that today is still being played out in my life. Because from my perspective, they were very positive. How to be a man. Now, his words and his behavior sometimes didn't line up because his behavior sometimes as a man was not the kind of man that I wanted to be. And yet it became the kind of man that I become. And now in order for me to become the kind of man I'm supposed to be, I have to allow the almighty to remake me. All we have is the examples of what we see and what we hear or believe as he's communicating to us. And I can tell you that when father is speaking to you about your purpose and his plan for you, it's something that you have to embrace and then live out in a world that haven't received the things that he has spoken to you. And then sometimes when you try to communicate to people the things that he has spoken to you, it doesn't fit, again, the description of the person they want you to be. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, it's challenging when you live in a world. It's not as difficult when you are a single person committed to the purpose and plan of the Almighty. And there were people like that in the Bible. Some who were born eunuchs, some who made themselves eunuchs, some who chose to live a celibate life, wholly committed to the purpose and plan of the Almighty. We know John the Baptist was one of those individuals. We think Paul was one of those individuals. We know Yeshua, Yeshua, according to our knowledge, was over 30 years old and to become 30 years old and never be married. But he was focused on the purpose that he had been called to accomplish. Everybody, brothers and sisters, as much as society wants to push on the world that all of us have a soulmate, that all of us is supposed to get married and raise children, that's a wonderful idea. But if the Almighty is set you apart from that, he's not calling you to be single so that you can play the field. He's calling you to be single so that you could wholly commit your ways to him and to serve out his plan for you 
in the earth. Paul brings up an interesting dynamic when he writes about when a man marries a woman, the man now is concerned about how to please the woman. The man is concerned about how to please the woman. The woman is concerned about how to please the man. It's almost as if the Almighty's plan becomes secondary, which is why he goes on to say, it's time for those of you who are married to live as though you're not. That doesn't mean you neglect your spouse. But you can't allow their opinions and thoughts of who they want you to be to interfere with what he's called you to be and learning how to be that person while still loving them and treating them with the honor, dignity and respect they deserve. You see, but you have to know where the boundaries are. You have to know where the lines are. Verse 11, and Yeshua stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Yeshua said unto him, you say it. So this is where the Romans who are mocking him now, calling him the king of the Jews is getting this from because it's going to actually go on the accusation placard that is going to be posted over his head. So they're not making this stuff up. They are mocking him, calling him the king of the Jews because that's the charge. Oh, you're the king. (laughs) Yeshua went further in John when he said to Pilate, and this, brothers and sisters, this is so eye-opening because here it is, he's coming to the end of his life, and I would say he's reflecting on his life all the way back to his birth. Listen to this. Then Pilate into the judgment hall again and called Yeshua and said unto him, are thou the king of the Jews? Yeshua answered him saying, thou say, sayest thou this thing of yourself or did others tell it thee of me? Now he's getting Pilate to say, hey, are you saying that because that's what somebody said? Or have you come to realize I am the king? Pilate is being forced to make a decision. Now, I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, because this same kind of question comes at up. We need to know, are you walking this path because somebody else is telling you you should? Or have you come to the realization that this is the right path? Because when you come to the realization that this is the right path, nobody can talk you out of it. But if if you haven't come to that realization, stuff (laughs) will cause you to be deterred or detoured. You see, when you come to the realization that you know who he is, and this is where I believe the Hebrew writer is coming from, that he that comes to him must first believe that he is. See, this ain't that old time religion. This ain't your daddy's religion or your mama's religion. It was good enough for them. It's good enough for you. No, you got to come to the realization yourself that he is the king. And when you come to that realization that he is the king, then you will serve him as a subject. So he says, are you saying this because somebody said that? Or are you saying this because you've come to realize it? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Now, notice what he does. He throws this out, and this is what the world around us, the Gentile world around us, the Christian world around us, the Gentile Christians, (laughs) 
See, because Pilate is disconnecting and disassociating himself from the king of the Jews by declaring he ain't a Jew. This is what happens when people begin to declare that's for the Jews. See, that law is for the Jews. And those of you who watched Messianic 101 this past Friday, we laid this thing out. You don't find Jews in the Torah. Jews is a negative term that was given to Judah in Babylon. That's when that word shows up. You see. So he says, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What have you, what have you done? And Yeshua answered, he says, because first he says, yeah, I'm a king, but you need to understand something about my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, what is he saying? Because he's told his disciples, pray for the kingdom to come. And then he says, you know, the kingdom of, of God is where? It's within you. So the world's kingdoms is geographical. The world's kings and queens and governors, if you would, they have boundaries by which they govern a people. The Almighty, his kingdom is the whole world. It's not of the world, it's, it's not a geography, but it is all of creation. Why? Because he's already stated, the Bible tells us in the Psalms, the earth is his, <laughs> the fullness thereof, and everything and everybody in it. So what he's saying to Pilate is that, listen, my kingdom is not the way you would describe a kingdom in the world with geographical boundaries, with borders. It's not like that. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? So we're not to be in war against other nations serving the king. Why? Because flesh and blood is not our problem. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The kingdom that we're part of is a supernatural kingdom, and the powers of that kingdom are supernatural. They are principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. They are the supernatural, unseen forces that the natural eye can't see. It's not only operating around us, but it's trying to get at us and in us. And the way it gets in is through the, the hearing and the seeing. Because the thing that enters into our inward man has to find entrance. It has to, it has to come in some kind of way. And so it's going to come through the hearing. You're going to hear stuff. This is what the devil did, and this is the prime example in the garden. Father spoke, and then the serpent spoke. So the two things that got the man and the woman in trouble is what they saw and what they heard. The woman looked at the tree and saw it was good for food. Well, that was a whole lot of food. I mean, there was food everywhere, right? They had the run of the garden, <laughs> 
and I would dare say there was all kinds of exotic kinds of food, fruit trees, trees, herbs, the works. But she saw that tree and heard that serpent. I would dare say that 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 serpent wasn't the only serpent in the garden. There was at least one more. <laughs> right? Why? Because everything that the father created has to reproduce. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. My kingdom is not from here. And so what is he saying? The king that my people serve is not an earthly king. Because it's not an earthly kingdom. Pilate therefore said unto him, are you a king then? Because now it's like, wait a minute, holy, holy. Because he's messing with Pilate's mind. When you start thinking from a natural man point of view, it's like every kingdom that I know of that's in the earth, many of them we've conquered. <laughs> they got kings. They got boundaries, which are now our boundaries, and their kings are our subjects, just like the ones here in Israel. So if your kingdom is not of this world, are you a king? <laughs> now you got to look at this again. Is Pilate therefore said to him, then are you a king then? Yeshua said, I am a king. Thou sayest that I am a king. Notice this. To this end was I born. In other words, he's saying the reason I was born was for this cause, for what I'm doing right now. Now, Pilate doesn't get it. All he knows is that he's got an innocent man that has been condemned to death, and he has to carry out this sentence because by their own doing, they devised a plan to where every Passover they would release a prisoner, and he tried to release Barabbas, but the people wouldn't, wouldn't let him. I mean, he tried to release Yeshua, but the people wouldn't let him. And so Barabbas got released. And now Pilate has to condemn this man because the person that he wanted to release is now still in his custody and somebody's got to die. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. Now, here's a question. Why were you born? Because I, I asked myself these questions. And you should be asking yourself these questions because if you don't know why you here, then you won't know what you should be doing. You'll be trying to figure this thing out. And in the meantime, you'll be hanging out with folks who say they are trying to figure it out, but don't seem like from what you see, they're not trying to figure it out. They're, they're living in a world doing worldly things telling themselves they're having fun, living their best lives. They will die and go on and maybe not be remembered. But I can tell you this, brothers and sisters, you cannot serve wholeheartedly in the kingdom and not be remembered. Not that our goal is to be remembered, but the fact is, is that the works that we do is going to go before us. The people lives that you affect and influence. Whether negative or positive is going to be remembered. The people's lives that you changed, 
the folks whose eyes became open to truth and to the reality of his kingdom. When you are gone, they will continue what you started, just as you've continued what somebody else started. And this process will continue. So he says, for this reason, for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Let this be a lesson to us. There are people, no matter how much truth you speak to them, they can't hear it. Why? Because they don't have ears. It's hard for natural minded men to understand supernatural things. And his word is spirit. It's not going to make, I can tell you being raised up in the church, this stuff didn't make sense to me because I walked away from it. It was my parents' religion. This is what they wanted me to do. I was raised up in a religious home. I went to church. I had some knowledge, teachings, but those teachings never really became a part of who I am. They were in me, but they never really became me. It wasn't until the decision came from my heart that I knew that the Almighty was not releasing me or letting me go. See, it wasn't a matter of me coming to him. It's a matter of me surrendering to him. Why? Because he has been after me from day one. And there's people in the earth that he's been after that they are going to have to surrender or they're going to pay the price for it. When I look back and I see it's very clear that he's been on my trail pursuing me over a period of time as far back as I could go back and remember. The word that was sown was still a seed, still was watered over the course of time. It still gave me something to distinguish right from wrong. And I'm not talking about right from wrong from a worldly point of view, but right from wrong from a kingdom point of view. There's a right way or a way that seems right. And then there's his way. And the way that seems right, the world's way and his way is not the same way. Father is trying to get us to see things from his perspective. And I can tell you, When you start seeing things from his perspective, you're not going to make sense to some people. And some of the people you're not going to make sense to are the ones you love the most. Because they've got their way of seeing things, which they believe is revelation. And then you have your way of seeing things, which you believe is revelation. I was thinking on my way here this morning, there's the world's way, there's the devil's way, there's our way, (laughs) and there's his way. The world leaders have a plan. Some of them are cahooting, in cahoots with each other. We've come to realize it or know it as the new world order. That there are people colluding behind the scenes to take control of the whole world, to issue one government, one currency. The Almighty is not going to let that happen. They can collude all they want. It's not going to happen. You say, well, what do do you mean it's not going to happen? Read the book. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to try. 
And so there's the, the world plan. See, the government got plans for the citizens. Why? Because there's stuff they want to build, wars they want to fight, and domination that they want to dominate. Nations they want to dominate. World powers, they, you can call it however you want to call it. They got ambassadors. They are communicating with each other. There's a big meeting supposed to be going on today. <laughs> World powers to prevent. And let's remember to, I mean, this whole situation in Ukraine has got some concerns. And the concerns for me is because we got ministry in Ukraine and are looking to reach souls in Ukraine, that anytime these kinds of confrontations or seemingly confrontations are in the mix, the Bible says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. So this, this has always been, it'll always continue, but all of this are signs to show that, you know, we don't have forever to get this work done. And we need to be diligent about the souls and the work that we've been called to because nobody knows when those missiles will fly. Those bombs will be, be launched and lives will be lost. And the hope, the goal is to get as many lives preserved by kingdom teachings as we possibly can. And so understanding the purpose that we're here and what we're supposed to be doing with what father has called us to do. The truth. When you look at the truth, there's the world's truth. There's nation's truth. There's various government truth. I mean, right now discerning truth. If you're looking at people to tell you the truth, because there's a lot of lying going on. And it's hard to figure out who's lying. And these kinds of lies have been going on for a long, long time. Because as far back as I can remember it as government and history, studying these things in school and looking at world leaders, making statements, hiding their hands, saying that that's not their intent, that's not their plan, that's not their purpose, while the whole time they're scheming and plotting. It's something when you hear a world leader say, no, we have no intention on attacking that nation. <laughs> while the whole time they're doing everything to undermine it, to prepare it, to weaken it, so that when they do go in attack, it's complete domination. This has been going on since the beginning of time, you see. And so there's one truth that really matters. There's only one truth that make men free. I keep reflecting back even when I was in church. And for some reason or another, I have always thought something's wrong with me. <laughs> I've really, for a long time, thought something was wrong with me because the way I see things and the way people around me seemingly see things and being in church, you know, wanting to obey what I read and people around me seem like they weren't in that place of, okay, well, this is what the word says. This is what we should be doing, right? Well, <laughs> Uh, you know, just, just settle down. 
And I remember, I remember in the Baptist church, you've heard me say this. I remember the day that I kind of abandoned my discernment because I trusted the people who were in the authority in the church, in the leadership, people who have who've gone to, to the schools and the seminaries and done the training. I trusted them because what I was thinking and what I was saying, what I was communicating didn't seem to align up with what they were doing. And I'm looking at the Bible and reading what I see in the Bible. Do you know that a great deal of religion is not interested in what the Bible say? That's a sad state of affair. They're interested in Bible principles, Bible-based principles. And these, these Bible-based principles are the interpretations of denominations and the statements of faith that they develop, whereas members live by as members in good standing. Many of us have been in churches. I know that the entire time from the day I was born, I've seen people who, according to the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, should not be serving in a, in a capacity in any kind of leadership. You see it. You see homosexuality. You see lesbianism. You, sh- you see adultery. You see drugs, alcohol addictions. And these are the leaders. <laughs> These are the ones who are leading the, the services and leading the worship. And that's not in every situation, but it seemed like everywhere I went, there were, there were these, these people in, in all the churches. If these things are in the Bible, how do we as an organization permit them to be functional in the midst of us? And it's like, don't people see this stuff? But they're not addressing it because don't judge. We're not supposed to be judging. God will will straighten it out. He'll take care of it. Just leave it alone. You see, focus on on walking the truth. Well, but that's what I'm trying to focus on. (laughs) You're telling me to ignore it. And so at some point, you become a member of the church. And for some reason, the citizenship of the kingdom becomes secondary to the membership of the organization. And I think so many people get disillusioned by that. And what's really interesting is how grown-ups go along with the plan and children see straight through it. They see the hypocrisy. Grown-ups recognize the hypocrisy, accept and allow the hypocrisy because it's part of the culture. And it's the sad state of affairs. But when you receive the truth, the truth does something to you that it starts changing you. It starts making you different. And now you seem odd. You seem strange. And nobody wants to be strange and odd. You see, at least not in our culture. You want to you want to blend in, fit in. So I thought stuff was wrong with me. And then I got to a point to where, you know, 
after growing up and, and watching and seeing how people function, it got to the point to where it was very difficult to relate to people. It's not that I can't relate to people. I just find it difficult to relate to people who are operating in a normal with my weird way of operating. As I look back over the course of my life and see the people that I interacted with, people that I could relate to, what I found is that I had a hard time relating to hypocrisy and I only seemed to flourish in relationships where people were at least trying to live truth. A low tolerance for nonsense where you could talk to people and if their lives are out of order, you could talk to them and they will make some adjustments. And if your life was out of order and you talk and they talk to you, you make some adjustments. And what happens is that we continue to help each other make adjustments in our lives for the betterment of the other until it comes to a point to where folks don't want to make no more adjustments. What do you do? How do you interact with folks who don't seem to want to walk according to the standard of the book? It's almost as if you're forced into a compromising position. And Yeshua refused to be compromised. He refused to bow and to subject himself and to submit himself to man like that. From the beginning of Matthew's writings, Matthew captured the recognition of Yeshua's kingship by the men who came from the east to pay homage to the king. So in Matthew chapter two, all the way back in the beginning, now when Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So from a child, Yeshua knew his mom, his dad, they're looking for him. The word is out. This boy is strange. Sums up with him. And his brothers and sisters recognized it too because they thought he was weird. They thought he was a little wacko. Why? Because they were doing their religion and he's walking in truth. And now he's left them. It's interesting that Yeshua, the oldest Son in the family. The Bible tells us he's got brothers. He's got sisters. And yet when he starts his ministry, none of them want anything to do with it. Not only do they not want anything to do with it, but they think he's wacko. Weird. And one day they'd heard enough. They're going to go get him. Hey, Yeshua, your mama, your brothers, they're out there. They want to see you. Who is my mother? Does that sound like a normal person? Who is my brother? You don't know your mama? You don't know your brothers, brah? He said, these are my, those who do the will of my father. And I'm going to tell you something. The moment you take on that mindset, you know what the world is going to, around you is going to call you? A cult. That's what they're going to call you. You're a cult. Something's wrong with you. You and that person, they don't brainwash you. No, brother, we're being unbrainwashed. See, we were born brainwashed. We were born with our minds darkened. 
And then we were brought into a darkened church environment by our darkened minded parents who had bought the lie that the law was no longer applicable. And that's how we were raised up, most of us. And now that you are going to do what is in the book, people want to accuse you of being strange because you're doing what is in the book. The church is not interested in what's in the book. I said, brother, how can you say that? Well, just look around you. Because if the church was interested in what was in the book, you know what? The church would be keeping the Sabbath. The church would be honoring the feast. The church wouldn't be bringing all of them that pork during their fellowship time and eating stuff that they've prayed over and called clean. And it's like, you know, the church is very unhealthy too, by the way. It's very unhealthy. See, when you start coming into the truth, you know what happens when you come into the truth? You start looking at your body a different way. You start looking at your temple a different way. You start paying attention to what you call food and what the Bible calls food. You start making some adjustments in your life because you realize that as the servant of the king, the king says, this is what you're supposed to eat. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And so our primary focus becomes the instructions of the one who we've committed our allegiance to the one that we've pledged our allegiance to the king. And so they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Yeshua was not brought up in the trappings of an earthly king, thereby confusing those who walk by sight and could not discern who he was because he wasn't brought up in the palace. Isaiah 53, one tells us who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up. Now here's insight to anybody who would look for what, where this King is going to come from. And it's throughout scripture. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no calmness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he's not going to be walking around with robe, kingly robes and crowns and scepters like the kings did and their sons and daughters and the princes and princesses and their royal titles. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Prophecy of Yeshua's kingship were numerous, but cloaked in mystery. Revealed only to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. Zechariah 9 was referenced in Matthew 21. Speaking of Yeshua's triumphal entry, remember? Rejoice greatly, Zechariah says, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat, the fowl of an ass. So notice, this is, you know, kings ride on stallions. They have carriages and, and wagons and chariots. And he's referred to. And when it happened, when he made his triumphal entry and they start throwing down palm branches and saying Hosanna and blessed is he who come in. See, there were people who recognized it. But there were people who refused to see it. 
Do you know in your life there'll be people who will recognize the truth that you bring, but there'll be people who will refuse to see it. They don't want to hear it. Why? Because it's going to cause change in their lives. And, you know, we're all looking for some, some sense of normalcy. This whole last couple of years with all of the stuff that's going on, all people can think about is getting back to normal. It wasn't normal, folks. It was chaotic, but at least it was normal chaos. It was chaos that we were familiar with. This is unfamiliar chaos. See, basically what they're longing for is for familiarity, something that they can recognize. The prophet Isaiah wrote, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's got all these titles, if you would, according to the prophet, of the increase of his government, and peace shall be no end. So what is the prophet saying? His government is going to be worldwide. There will be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the prophet is saying, you know, get a glimpse. Don't try to limit the king to a particular geography. Because his kingdom is not that kind of kingdom. And if the people are looking for that kind of king, can I tell you, when I look at kings and queens and kingdoms in the earth, most countries that have kings aren't ruled, per se, directly by the king. They have a government that works, prime ministers, presidents, folks that they put in place while the king is the head of state, the face of the nation. There are some countries, limited countries, where the actual king makes the rules and laws, but there's also government that governs the people. The government of Yeshua will be directly to his people. He's trying to govern you. He's trying to govern me. He's trying to govern us. If I'm listening to him and you're listening to him and everybody else is listening to him, guess what? We may be given different messages, but it'll all have a part. It'll all fit. It won't be chaos. One thing's for sure is we will all be trying to honor what is written in this book. Every last one of us, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, not certain portions of the book. We won't take a certain portion of it and reject the other side or take the other side and reject the other portion. We will be following the instructions. Because why? He's the one who gives them. You know, none of us were there. When I look at technology today, I mean, you got to think about it. We're at least 2,000 years removed from the time of Messiah. And then we're another two plus three, 4,000 years moved from the time of Moses. And to think about going back into that time when Moses heard 
the Almighty speak to him when he asked the question, what is your name? All these experts today, with all of these tools that we have, none of us was there to hear it. And yet you have people who are so in their mind, 100%, even though the scripture says with all our knowing, we know in part. The idea that we would argue and fight among ourselves because of not saying a particular name or pronouncing it a particular way is in my mind, ludicrous. It is like straining. You say, well, brother, are you trying to say his name is, is like strain? No, I'm saying as smart as you are and as intelligent as you are and all wise and all knowing as you are, you still don't know. I can at least admit it. I can admit that I don't know. I have tools that, that I look at, tools that I, I rely on as far as trying to help me understand. And so with that, I can say there's some things that I do know. I don't have to question this. Don't come at me with your sacred whatever, and you won't even wear fringes. That's in the scripture. Where are your fringes at, bro? Now, I, I just noticed it, but I probably wouldn't say nothing until we develop a relationship unless you start coming at me to attack me. Now, there's a difference in attacking people and trying to provoke people unto good works. Because if I'm doing something wrong, please tell me. If you care about me, if you love me, if you're, if you're sincere about your walk with the Almighty, because I'm sincere about my walk with the Almighty. And if you believe that Father is telling you to tell me something, then I need to hear. You need to tell me. I want to know. Why? So I can make whatever necessary adjustments I need to make. That's the way every sincere believer should be. So I don't have time to fight with you. I don't have time to argue with you. Let's find what is written that we all can agree on because there's some things we're never all going to agree on because we just don't know. But there's a whole lot more that we can agree on. Are you with me? The saints, Peter and John, in Acts 4, after being released from prison, ascribed Psalms to be prophetically speaking of Yeshua. Remember in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John had been released, and then he goes to the house, and everybody is excited because they see him, and then they let him in. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? This is what is happening today. Believe it or not, heathens are raging. You know, the word Gentile is defined as a heathen. Believers should not refer to themselves as Gentiles. Folks are going to do what they want to do. But if you look at the definition of a Gentile, it's a heathen. That's one of the definitions. Why is the heathen raging? And the people imagine vain things. You know some of the vain things people are imagining? That the God of creation who made everything and set the standard and is upholding everything he made by his word, say he's abandoned that old, the, a whole half of the book. 
You don't have to do that stuff no more. Jesus died so, you know, you're free from all those laws. That's vain. That's vain. Vanity and vexation of spirit. And you know what? Just as some of us are as convicted about keeping his commandments, they are equally convicted that they don't have to. I think to some degree, some of us used to be, but we had that nagging question in the back of our head. <laughs> and when the Almighty showed us, you know what, that nagging question you've been having, those, that stuff you've been thinking, yep. it was vanity. How can you say, I am your father who gave these instructions, say, I don't have to keep them? <laughs> wow. Says, who by the mouth of thy servant, and here it is. The people imagined vain things. They lifted up their, their, by the mouth of thy servant David, has thou said, by whose mouth? And here's where. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Now here's where Peter and John and the others connect what has happened. They, they see, they remember the things that Yeshua said to them. Right? Because back in, in Psalms, there is no pilot. In the prophets, there is no pilot. But Yeshua said to them, there's some things that I'm going to say to you. And when it happens, then you're going to make the connection. You're not going to make the connection until it happens. But when it happens, so here they're making the connections. He says, for of a truth against thy holy child, Yeshua, whom thou has anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Psalms two. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The psalmist is prophesying here. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against or counsel together against Jehovah. Now this goes all the way back into the days of Psalms and these things were happening in the days of Psalms, but he's prophesying that these things will be happening in the days when the Messiah comes. They set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Jehovah and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cause from us. Can I tell you something? And this is one, well, I know I said, can I tell you something? I'm going to tell you anyway, that one of the things that make America unique, it is very unique in the sense that unlike a whole lot of other nations, the kings and rulers of those nations have pushed their people away from this book. Most of the nations of the world do not honor this book for the most part at all. They are heathens to the core. They have their religions, but when it comes down to the word of Jehovah as contained in this book, the nation that have probably done the greatest work of upholding this has been this nation, even to the point of misinterpreting it, <laughs> changing the approach to it, 
and then evangelizing the rest of the world from there. America had the opportunity to establish itself in biblical truth and then evangelize the rest of the world in biblical truth. Instead, it sent them Christian truth. And still with that said, when it comes down to this particular nation, there is no other nation that I would say come close to this country when it comes down to trying to uphold some semblance of faith, according to scripture. <laughs> but yet these other nations have literally broke down religious and moral values and have submitted and committed its way. Think about this. The other superpowers, you look at a, a China, you look at a Russia, you look at some of these other France, you look at powers, Greeks, powers that used to be Egypt. You can go on and on all around the world and you'll see all these various types of religions that many will argue may be mentioned in this book. But when it comes down to this book, so the heathens raged, they've imagined vain things. They've taken counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their band asunder and cast away their course from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So what is he saying? You know, you fools. What makes you think that my creation can turn on me? And get away with it. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Verse 5. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. And vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So even there he said listen. I got a location. And this location is supposed to be an example to the rest of the world. Of course. This light that was on the hill. Lamp went out. I would declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with the rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in, a piece, in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve Jehovah with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled, but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This is a word that has been from the kingdom and it shall be all the way in. If you go to the end of the book in Revelation, you can see it from Genesis, the almighty creating everything you see in, in Revelation where he's restoring it. Verse 30. And they spit upon him, took the reed and smote him on the head. Now the very staff they'd given him for his king, they hid him with. <laughs> and after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off of, from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And here's a little history lesson. Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry Yeshua's cross. Now, Cyrene is mentioned several times in the New Testament. Jews came from Cyrene to 
Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, verse 10, chapter 2, Acts. They came from Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya. So Cyrene now has been geographically identified as being a part of Libya. Cyrene was actually believed to be the capital of Libya. When you look at it from a definition, it's meaning afflicted or weeping, a large region of northern Africa bordering Egypt and that portion of it, which had Cyrene for its capital and was thence called Libya. Now, what's interesting about Libya is that Libya was the name of Ham's son, Put or Foot. Geographically, Libya was established by one of Ham's sons, Put. In fact, according to Ezekiel, the definition of Libya is Put. There it is. And when you look at the table of nations, you see that brown part at the bottom left. You'll see that Canaan, Misraim, Put, Cush, these are the sons of Ham and the location by which they established. Here's another view of the table of nation. And then this particular view, the table of nations, Libya, Cyrene, in the land of Put. This is after the flood. So Libya means Put, a bow, a nation and people of Northern Africa, probably Libyans. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene preached the gospel to Antioch, Acts eleven twenty, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Yeshua, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Going back to verse 33, Matthew chapter 27. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, and here Cyrene now, uh, Simon of Cyrene has carried his cross. They gave Yeshua vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he did not drink it. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And then sitting down, they watched him there. And so now we see that they've got him at the place of the skull. This is the place where, where they crucified him. All this is, is going on. And next week, when we get into uh, the next portion of Matthew, we're going to see that Yeshua was extended on this cross for a minimum of three hours, possibly up to six hours hanging. And then they put this placard over him, over his head, with the accusation written, this is Yeshua, King of the Jews. So why was he crucified? He was crucified according to the Roman accusation because he was King of the Jews. Now that's, that's the crime he committed, King of the Jews. According to Luke, chapter 23 and verse 38, and John, chapter 19 and verse 20, the accusation set up over Yeshua's head was written in three languages, which gives us insight to the dominant languages spoken in Yeshua's day on earth. And this is why, you know, you'll find that the Greek and the Hebrew. Now, people, theologians tell us that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. But when we look at the King James Bible and you know, the, the Latin Vulgate, we find within the scripture, especially in the New Testament, a lot of Latin words that if you didn't know that you wouldn't think 
They were lying. And, and what we find is the ones who have influenced the body of Christ is the Romans, specifically the Roman Catholic. Long before what people call or consider Christianity, because the way theologians and historians have done is at a time when Jesus became Jesus, they took Jesus and put him all the way back into the first chapter of Matthew. He wasn't called Jesus did. And that's not even a translation of his name. But this is what the Romans did because see, the Roman Catholic church, when you look at its influence, Roman Catholicism, greatest influence in Spain, in South America, in countries where, you know, much of the Spanish conquerors and Spanish speaking and Hispanic, you see the evolution, Spanish, Spanish speaking, Hispanic, Latino. When you think of a Latino, you don't think of a Latin person. What do you think of? Latino comes from the Latin. And when it comes down to Latino, then the first introduction of what we call Jesus was Jesus. Now, in America, in English speaking, you know, in most English speaking countries, you will be hard pressed to find a person named Jesus. But in Hispanic cultures, in Latin America, in Latino cultures, Jesus is a normal name. Why is it that in English speaking cultures, the most prominent, most important person who ever lived don't have name? Now, there's a lot of Joshua's, <laughs> but when it comes down to Jesus's, <laughs> it just don't work. In Luke 23:38, and I'm down to my final passages or slides. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters, letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So it's written in Greek and then it's written in Latin and then it's written in Hebrew. Now in John, it's a different order. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Yeshua was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Now this is his crime. And you can imagine people very upset about the fact that you're, you're ascribing this, this blasphemer as our king. It was an insult to the Hebrews, especially those who petitioned for his death. <laughs> but I would dare say this is Pilate's way of saying, okay, y'all force my hand. Take this. <laughs> Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. Yeshua had been mocked by the Romans. Yeshua was spoken evil of by the people, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, and because of the lies, false testimonies, and rumors that had been spread about him throughout the land. So now these two, no, people, people passed by, reviled him, wagging their heads. 
Now, I would dare say these are the people coming into the city to celebrate the Passover, people who were in the city celebrating. They got to look at this. And these Romans, they've insulted us once again, claiming this guy as our king. <laughs> that word reviled is the same where we get the, the word blaspheme from. Because Yeshua, from their perspective, had been accused of blasphemy. And now they're reviling him, which says to me that they're speaking. Imagine that he's hanging there. It's, it's like <laughs> of all the, the lessons and the place that I find the most difficult to retain is this frame of mind to where the person, you know, when Yeshua, as he's hanging there and these people are saying things and the people he came to die for have condemned him to death. And the people he came to save is now speaking blasphemous things against him, shaking their heads. It would take everything I got to stay up there. If I could come down, I'm just being real with you. I mean, you think about some of the stuff we put up with, among our own families that we have a hard time dealing with. And this, to me, it makes it real. Because the people that you love, the people that you commit your ways, you commit your life to, the people that you want the best for them, the people that you go out of your way to make sure that they have a good life, the people that you give the shirt off your backs, the people that you will go to the ends of the earth for are reviling you rejecting if it wasn't for the faith that I have, I would be a wicked person. I would be justified to cut folks off at the knees to reject them, to have nothing to do with them, to want nothing to do with them because they reject me. In fact, from a natural standpoint, that would probably be easy to do. It's tough, hard, when the people that you love reject what makes you who you are. This is not a religion for me. This is a way of life. How can I be separated from the way of life that I believe? There are those who would... Don't want that part of you like they can have the other part of you without this part of you. It's a package. But see, the world can create boxes for it. Okay, we're in this space now, so we leave all that stuff over there. We not go. And, and you know what I find myself doing? I find myself tolerating. And in the process of tolerating, I have to give myself breathers. I love my family, but I can tell you it's tough being around them sometimes because I'm looking for ways to communicate my faith without trying to condemn or convict. And the moment you say anything remotely close to the word, oh boy, here you go. Here you go now. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Go see how long you can, you can just... Keep it to yourself. <laughs> so I have to step out and get a breather. 
Come back here. <laughs> uh, yeah, y'all hear me. You see, I do. Because it's like, you know what? I love you all and I want to be with you, but I can only take so much of you. Just like you, I can handle a lot more of you than you can handle of me. And I'm the one who didn't fall from grace. <laughs> let me, let me lock this thing up. Verse 40, it say thou that destroyed the temple. So what are they saying? They're reviling him, wagging there, they're walking by. You know, and, and, and he's got to see all this. It's like he's, he's sitting there with all these folks. And, and, and guess what? During this time of the year, the Passover, the city is bustling with people. And they're walking by. And, you know, if, if they had the bird in that day, they were pl- probably flipping the bird at him, cussing at him, reviling him. And he's like, you know, I, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> Look at him. You destroy, they say, thou that destroy the temple, build it in three days. Save yourself. If you be the son of God, come down from that cross. The false witnesses testified that Yeshua said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. The false witness testimony has spread among the people, further blinding them to who Yeshua was. Verse 41. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders. These are the pastors today. These are the church leaders today. Cause they say some stuff about me. I know they do. They didn't just, they just tolerate and ignore brother, but Hey, that's on them. He saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. No, you won't. That's what they said. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him. (laughs) For he said, I am the son of God. You're the son of God, right? And then the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. And this word in his teeth, its meaning is to reproach. So they were doing the same thing. And it wasn't them Oh, we're going to find out it was narrowed down to one because one was convicted, even to the point of, as we'll get into, rebuking the thief that reviled him. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, it is important to remember that this was Jehovah's plan and Yeshua's endurance pleased him. Father put him through some stuff. You know, he will allow us and put us through some stuff, too. Yeshua was our ultimate example. Isaiah said, yet it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Jehovah shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And we have to remember that. That's what I have to remember, because I tell you, it helps me not to get upset or angry at seeing how they treated the Savior. It's also, it helps me to just remember when I'm dealing with people that I believe I have something to offer them and they reject it. And what's interesting is there are people who 
will want the stuff that you have but reject what you have to say. They will reject your doctrine, they'll reject your belief. And that's very unfortunate. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.